Yes, it's time for an uncle special. <laughs> <laughs> Hi guys, welcome to Writer's House on Ringer FC. I hope everybody's feeling well and keeping safe. Today, we've got, you know what, we've got to talk about Musa's book. In the end, it was all about love. We're going to speak about that. Manchester United, we're going to be talking about Manchester United in their statement victory. Jesse Lingard, we're going to speak about Jesse. Frank Lampard, obviously I've got to speak about Frank, my dear friend. Sad to see him go. Steph Horton is getting flowers because she deserves them. Big bunch of flowers for Steph Horton. And we're going to be talking about Martin Erdogan. Very excited about him. And my guest in the house today is Uncle Musa Akwanga. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Neutro Natural Choice Dog Food. Everything dogs do, they give their 100%. Feed them food to help them keep giving it their all with Neutro Natural Choice Dog Food. Neutro, feed clean. Learn more at Neutro.com. Made with non-GMO ingredients, trace amounts may be present due to potential cross-contact during manufacturing. This episode is brought to you by the Hyundai Santa Fe. For a capable SUV with intuitive tech and safety features designed for all your family's adventures, check out the new Hyundai Santa Fe. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Mr. Musa Akwanga, how are you, brother? Very well indeed. Dressed in the Queen's drift, as you can see. The, <laughs> the Ivy Park. <laughs> the co- yes, honestly. Yeah. I just think because we're on Beyonce's internet, we've got to wear Beyonce's, you know. We're talking about dr- Moose. Did you see my coat? Did you see my puffer? It looked like an igloo. Why are you being like that? Why are you being? <laughs> you should have seen some of the memes. <laughs> Moose, some of the memes. People had, cut my, people had me in a mattress. People had a mirror. We blew, we blew. Like, I couldn't understand how people came me so They much. came for you, like, didn't so, you know it's, I've not stopped wearing it. It's the best coat. It's the best top I could be wearing. And you know something? It's one of those where I just have to say, no, E, this was a good purchase. You stick by that purchase. That coat is the closest thing to a vehicle. It's like wearing an SUV. Like, I've got a coat like that, similar. <laughs> and it's the same thing. You know, everyone gives you the, oh, everyone's on the train giving you the look. Oh, they're making sarcastic. And then you know what happens? Bam. Everyone gets to the ground. Go, go, everyone's yeah. very quiet. You know what? Because all of a sudden it's minus two degrees. And everyone that's been giggling at you in the queue, yeah. they're yeah. sitting there, they're looking, and no one can say it because they're like, oh, I laughed at Ian on the way here, but Ian had a plan. Ian's the only one that had a plan, and I didn't have a plan. People didn't realise Marine was arguably one of the coldest I've ever had to do any punditry in. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to go massive like you're seeing everybody's with their puffer. I'm not going big time puffer so that you get, you get something that's like, oh, yeah, I'll wear it. And, mm, I don't quite like it. And you go rush. I took my time. Yes, exactly. And I found it. Strategic. Unbelievable. You know, the amount of people that I've got from privately are saying, where's it from? Where's it from? I've had to you send see. them where it's from. Because I said, I want something that I will wear continually. Not just like, oh, it's freezing at the moment. We're doing our stuff. That is honestly, and it's got this, this head thing. I'll tell you, you know, where it could, you know what it could be in? That top could be in Mandalorian. Yes, yes. You know what? You know what? It's the kind of thing. If you, if you went to the Arctic Circle, you would get a head nod in respect. You know those nods that black people give each other? Yes. You get that, you get that from nod. a penguin. They'd be like, oh, he knows, yeah, he knows he what knows. he's doing. He yeah, knows. Yeah. Respect, respect. That one is, that's one of us. Moose, we've got to get into it. In the end, it was all about love. This is your platform, bro. Tell them. Oh, you know no, what I'm going to do? No, no, no. You know what I'm going to do, Moose? Because I started reading, and it, as, as soon as I started reading the first couple of pages, you're explaining Berlin and everything like, what is it? I said, stopping. I want to be... I want to be, I know how this is going to, I really know how this is going to pan out. And I said, I want to be in a nice place when I finish reading this. Right, right. I want to be in a nice place. Tell us about it, Moose, because like yeah, I sure. said, the first couple of pages really, I was in. Okay. So yeah. So uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, secondly, um, shout out to Abby Fellows, my agent and Rough Parade Books, mm. um, Nina, Will and Kate, who have done all this incredible work to get the book out there. So this book is like, it's super short. It's like 120 pages, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. but it's basically a book about, it's kind of a novel fiction, but it's based on quite closely on my own experience where I got to Berlin in 2014, so about six years ago. 
and my dad died and he was 40 years old and right. I was 34 when I arrived in Berlin and I was basically like, I wasn't sure I'd achieved enough with my life. And my dad right. achieved so many things. He was like a famous surgeon, a consultant mm. surgeon, and he died in a war in Uganda. And I was like, I've got, I, I, cause I, it sounds ridiculous, but I never thought I'd survive past my 40th birthday. Wow, Moose. Because my, yeah, cause my dad, my dad was killed. Like this, people don't realize the trauma when you lose a parent, especially in a traumatic situation, there's no plan for what goes beyond it. Like if one of your parents is violently killed, mm. you basically think, well, maybe that's going to happen to me or maybe I'll get a heart attack or something. So I basically was living on borrowed time for my entire life. Jeez, Moose. Yeah. So I just, that's I only deep. just, yeah, I know exactly. So the book is kind of about what do you do when you think, how do you come to terms with the life that you've made for yourself if you think mm. you haven't got long left? So I basically had my, I had my, midlife crisis at 20 and my end life crisis at 40. <laughs> so now that I'm 41, this is like, this is extra time. I yeah. never expected to get this time. Yeah, but in this extra time, Moose, now obviously, unfortunately, you know, mm. your, your dad's passed at 40 and you've gone to 41. And we, people don't realise that, it, especially in African culture, you have to surpass your parents with what you do. Like people, yes. don't, people don't understand you have to better them. So you're, you're talking about how, how your dad how he done and now he's died at 40 now you've got your published moose simply yeah. you're published at a time when you were going to give it up yeah you were going right. to give it up moose that's and right now people don't realize that yeah you're people don't realize that ian like so the book like it's written about my experience but really for anyone that's ever moved basically if you're if you're someone listening to this who's ever moved to a new country or city to try and make a new life this book is for you because mm. it talks about because we all arrive in a new city or a new town to try and make something with that doubt because we don't know if it's going to work out. And basically the book is for how you make your way in a new place, which for me happened to be Berlin, but could be anywhere. Mm. And it was the journey of self-acceptance. And the really exciting thing, Ian, is because I've said before, maybe this podcast, I was going to give all up writing and everything about football. The amazing thing was, so last year I signed these three book deals. I've got three mm. books coming out this year. And the final one was signed a few days before my dad's 40th birthday. Mm -hmm. So I basically made it. I basically scored an injury time winner. Nice. So the weird thing was at the moment I signed that book deal, I was like, dad, I basically, dad, I did it and made it. And so, so now he, yes. I feel no sense of failure. I feel like I really achieved. I honored my dad. I honored my parents. And now the rest of my life is mine. And it's incredible. I felt wow. total liberation since then. Yeah. So that means it's just like, so you, you can do whatever you want now. You can just go, go forth. That's exactly it, Ian. And it's wild just because, forth. yeah, people don't realize that, but you, the feeling of liberation, like, and the book talks about everything. It talks about, you know, it is about love in the end. It's about love. It's about dating, mm. friends, family, being a good partner, being a good mm. sibling, you know, because it's so, we talk so much about achievement, Ian. Like, look, I'm, you scored all these goals, but I'm sure the greatest achievements you've had have been under your own roof oh, as gosh. a parent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like as a parent, as a supportive, you know, the most important thing to me is being someone that people can call up and be like, oh, I need help. This. Do you have time? And of course you make, they think you might have two minutes, but you make two hours for that person. Mm. That for me is the book is about who are we? What are we doing? How do we cope in isolation? Which was maybe relevant to the moment we're in now because the yes. book wasn't written in the pandemic, but a lot of people that are living in the pandemic now who've read the book are like, this book is right for right now. Can I say uh, with Berlin yeah. as well? Because we, I, I was in Berlin for 2006. Yes. Wow. Wow. My God. We didn't, and me and my wife was there. It was me and my wife were there. And Obviously, we didn't have the kids yet. How can I explain it? It was like a mix-up mesh of Portobello Road, Carnaby Street. Wow. Not in it, that, that kind of real cool Energy. vibe. It, it was so cool. Why did, just quickly, Moose, why Berlin? Did, what, was it just like, did you put a finger in the map and say, right, that's it. Did someone tell you about Berlin? Because let me tell you, we've wanted to go back since. Okay. Did, oh my God. Let me just quickly explain. So I was here in 1998 for the first time with a couple of friends. And the thing that blew me away was how much green there was in this city, right? Berlin's very flat. It's got incredible forests, lakes, as well as the urban scenes. It's got nightlife, all that stuff. So it's got like a bit of everything really. Mm. Um, and then I came back. So I, I was in Brazil for the World Cup. Ryan's going to hate this. I, was in, I always talk about being in Brazil. <laughs> no, I hear all and I was having dinner with a great, very close friend of mine, Carlos uh, Murdoch. Shout out to Carlos and his family. Carlos, a brilliant architect in Rio, who ran for the mayor of Rio, mm -hmm. weirdly enough. So we were having like dinner and he said, why are you still in the UK? Like you've got this European outlook. Why aren't you in Europe? Mm. And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. So I was thinking of moving. And he said, why not Berlin? 
And what he didn't know was that I'd actually studied German A-level. I almost studied German at university, German and mm. French. So my German was really strong at that point back in the day. So I was like, just go for it. So basically within, and it was the way that life runs is that when I was in Brazil, my landlord sold the house I was living in. So I got back and all my stuff had been boxed up and I had no house to live in. Oh gosh. And I took that as a sign. So basically mm -hmm. I got on the next available plane, came flat hunting and that was it. Beautiful. And I've been here ever Moose, since. Moose, I, I tell you, there's some bits where you talk about like the, the punch in the belly, what Berlin can give you. All the stuff, what happened there, I, I, I implore people to read it. I can't wait myself. Um, but like, fantastic as well, Moose, because it's today, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it came out today. Yeah. Unbelievable. And you're here with me. I, I feel indeed. really, I feel really honoured about that, Moose, with, every, with your journey. I feel honoured that I'm, in, I'm here talking about it on the day it's come out because it's a beautiful thing and it's unbelievable read. I was speaking to Roscoe and he's like, he's like, you know, he's all over himself with it. Can I say this as well? Like, I was here for your birthday, which is quite cool. But if I look at my life even a year ago, it's unrecognisable. It feels like a 20 year, I know we've had very different lives, Ian, mm. but do you ever, there's those points where you feel you're not going to make it like to your dream. Oh, good God. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know what it is. And yeah. so I thought this was never going to happen. Like, you know, the Wrighty's house, Stadio, all of it has been incredible. The books, I'm, I can't believe it. It has happened to me. I can't, it's actually here. And someone said to me like, what are you doing tonight? Shout out to Nikesh Shukla, my mate. He was like, mm -hmm. what are you doing tonight? And I said, to be honest, I'm just going to get maybe a nice takeout and a bit of cake and just sit here and smile. Just just I just exactly. smiled because I said. This is like a 20 year gamble. It's a 20 year gamble that finally paid off. You know, you know what's good about that is that, and, and, and that, that's probably the best way. Probably you may, may have celebrated it in a different way if we weren't in what we're in, in the of pandemic. Course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, Moose, it's like when you sit down and you can reflect on the journey up to this point, it's the best way because you want to be in a situation where you can reflect. You know, it's, like, it's spiritual. Yesterday, I got some news what, I don't know if it's bad news, but I was very, I was very low after I heard the news because I, I went to see a specialist yes, because my ankle's starting to cause a lot of problems. Oh, no. right? And it was really strange because when I went there, I was in a pretty good mood and everything was fine. And when I left, I was very melancholy, very like, very sad, simply because the guy, he said to me, listen, your ankle's in a very, very bad way. You've, it's fused now. Jesus. It's totally fused now. Okay. You know, people, people say things like, why, why are you limping? And I think I'm walking normally because the ankle is in such a bad way and they fused it in a way, Miss, that they fused it a little bit off key. Yeah. So yeah. it's causing me problems with my knee and my everything. back and everything. Of course, and he yeah. said to me, listen, I said to him, what if I leave it now for the rest of my life? He said, well, you've got maybe three or four years because arthritis is set into it. Okay. And you're going to be, you're probably going to be in a lot of pain. It's, it's one of those situations, Moose, where you have to make that decision to have an, yeah. I've got to have an ankle replacement. And you know, I was thinking about why I was so sad about the whole thing is because while I was playing, mm. George Graham, um, and it was a time where Arsenal, I was scoring so frequently. I couldn't stop scoring. Mm. People saying things like, if he's not scoring, Arsenal not winning. And it was a time where my ankle was at its worst. And I was mm. literally taking injections on a weekly basis. My goodness. And I remember the physio, Gary Lewin, was very, he wasn't happy but I would not have it any other way because I wanted to play. And you know what was sad about it as well is that play, people as well, the players would say, we, we, we need you, right? We need you. Yeah. You know, the fans don't realise what you're going through for them. And then as soon as, I, as soon as I stopped playing, it's literally my ankle stopped working. Okay. I had to take, I had to have Volt Roll tablets every day. You know what I mean? For any big game, it was massive. Like in, in, in the, in, I think I might have mentioned it, in 93, I think the FA Cup final, Sheffield Wednesday. I literally had to, I had to limp to the to the to the um, to off the bus, get into the dressing room. George Graham said to me, "I don't want no one to see you limping." So when you get off the bus, and it wasn't far, Moose. Right. When you get off the bus into the Wembley dressing room, if the bus is parked where you have to walk from round the side, from round the side to come round the front, I probably would have had to. I, I wouldn't have been able to make it. My so the God. bus stopped, and you came off. And I had to literally go in and literally fell on the wall because I had to get the injection at a certain time when I got into the, in, in, in Wembley. I had to get the injection. And those are the things what I'd done. And I was, what I was, I think I'm laboring it a bit, but I no, 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 we have to talk about this because what I'm trying to say Moose, yeah. is, is that when you, when you look at it now, and we're talking about 30 odd years now, nearly 30 years, um, and, and how people are, 
people don't realise what players do for the club, no, what you will no. do, your own, your, for your, what you're, what I've done to myself just for a football match. And I remember there was players and you hear people say things like, back in the day, that's not going to stop you playing. Back in the day, that should have stopped you playing. Yes. If you're yes, taking Volterol, a hundred, whatever it was, um, Volterols, for training every day, you've got a problem. But you sacrifice. It's what you do. You have to do it. And like I said, yesterday, I was really, I was really sad. But then I thought to myself, would you have changed anything for where you are right now and what's happened? And you know, like you say, the journey moves, the yeah, journey you has been amazing. And you know something, I'd probably go back into that time, Moose, knowing this, yes. I probably would still do it. And do you know what's amazing about this, Ian? It's because you're true to yourself. And you know, like all those last minute winners, they only come oh, because God. for 90 minutes, you've taken every risk you can, uh, mm -hmm. every single risk. And mm. you look at it and it's like, there's two things it feels like. It feels like, you know, when you have like a long shower after a long run mm -hmm. and you forget the run was even painful. Yeah. When yeah. you look at the success, that's how the, sh the shower is like that. And I tell you what this feels like now, looking at everything that I've done and looking at what I'm sure look what you've done. You know, Dennis Bergkamp chip. Oh, you know God. how you watch the, the best, the, the reason why the chip will always be my favorite finish is because you get to spectate your own goal. It's very rare. <laughs> yes, it's, it's very true. rare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True, Moose. It's like being a chef and tasting your own meal. You don't get that, right? It's like being a chef and just tasting your meal, like along with the people in the, the yes. diners. And so this success now, it feels like, you know, the Bergkamp chip against Leverkusen, I think it was, or, or your chip against, I think it was Leverkusen, or your chip against... Um, Not Leeds, was it? Was it Yeovil in the cup? Oh, Yeovil, yeah. Yeovil. See how you're watching it. Yeah. See how you're watching it. You're like, you're, you're, oh, okay, it's airborne. You know. It's airborne. And everyone yeah. knows, the keeper knows it's in, the mm. crowd knows it's in. The keeper knows that you know that it's in and you're like, yeah. And you're like, it's like, for me, you watching your chip, that's how I feel seeing my performance. That's how you feel. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. And I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a single mm. thing because every syllable, every sentence, every drop of ink, I fought for everything. Yes. I fought and I gave everything. And the thing mm. about that is you look at all these um, footballers who've really served their clubs, who are adored. People love them. Whoever they are, whatever level they reach, if it's Francis Benali slogging his guts out Southampton, mm. it's you at Arsenal. If it's, you know, it's Redondo at Real Madrid before his knees failed him or Van Basten, mm. whose ankle failed him. Yes. People know these players gave everything. That's the they main feel thing. it on a level. And that, in the end, you know, we talk about love. It is about yeah, that. It is about that. This episode is brought to you by Nutro Natural Choice Dog Food. Tail wags that could clear a coffee table. Getting a whiff of a new friend's behind. Chasing squirrels, even in their sleep. Everything dogs do, they do with everything they have. Nutro Clean Recipes gives them the energy they need to keep living their best life with recipes that help them give it their all. Made with non-GMO ingredients, except the trace amounts that may come in contact during manufacturing, Nutro Natural Choice makes it easy to feed your dog well. With no artificial flavors or preservatives and recipes that would make any dog drool, you'll both be doing a happy dance when you fill up their bowl. Nutro. Feed clean. Learn more at Nutro.com. Trace amounts may be present due to potential cross-contact during manufacturing. Moose, we have to talk about Man United and a statement win. Yes, Moose, a statement victory. Yeah. That is a statement victory, if ever I've seen one. What a great game. It was. This is a classic FA Cup tie. This is yes. The it's, it's, um, do you know I say this? Every single goal was beautiful in its own way. Mm. Like mm. every piece of goal, you're like, you know, every single goal, you're like, there's been so much craft in it. Um, tactically, both managers did mm. interesting things. Um, and it was just a great, I mean, I, I said this on Stadio, like just the shame that there was no one in, you know, really in, in the crowd to watch it. Mm -hmm. But Solskjaer, we've seen him coach really well in mm -hmm. big games. And I've always, my criticism and my concern of Solskjaer was always the inconsistency because I, I couldn't see where it That's was going to come thing. from. That's, but it yeah. came, it has mm -hmm. come and I have to give him credit for that. And I've given him credit ever since. And this was funny because although Liverpool, we have to admit, obviously were below strength. So obviously Liverpool fans, we know that this is not your first choice Liverpool side. We get that. Oh, absolutely. At the same time, just really impressive 
from United because not only did they play well in the initial stages, they made really good adjustments. When Liverpool put the pressure on, United again adjusted, adjusted well. Liverpool had a spell, right? Yes. They had a spell there. I think, would it, would it have been when it, when it was, when it was 2-2? Yes, yes. They had a spell where I thought, this, you have to score in this spell. Mm. Because we know that, I think, was Bruno Fernandes on yet? I'm not, not sure if he was... There was a spell, but I don't think he came on straight after the second, after Liverpool's second. I think he came on a little bit after. Because there was a spell where you could feel it and you're thinking Liverpool are now starting to really take control of this. And, and you said, you mentioned something on Stadio, which I thought, yeah. Because while I'm watching it and you're seeing Curtis Jones getting more and more influential towards the, in, towards the end of it, where he started to yeah. attack people, thinking he's got to go braver for me. I think Klopp's got to go braver and, and play. He played. He played Curtis Jones, Curtis Jones instead of Milner. Bring Milner on if you're trying to, like, yeah. like steady the ship and 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 hold him off. You want to you, you want to do something like. Uh, but the, the creativity that Curtis Jones brings, I thought that he he's somebody that he should have started. Well, we, yeah, I think so. I think well, well, he, he started. He should have started in the, in the midfield three. I think because he started yes. high up on, on on the flank. On the flank, that's what it yeah, was in that, the midfield three. Yeah, it was too far forward, and it was funny. You saw that at Barca. They would play Iniesta as a winger. And they drop him into the centre because what Iniesta's ability was was the ability to carry the ball through midfield, a crowded mm. midfield. Because then Moose can't you, you if you play if you play um, if you take Curtis Johnson from there, you put him in the midfield, then yes. Arne could start, surely. I think so. I think they wanted to rest Mane for some reason. I think it was that. But then even I think you have Shakiri as a winger. I just think that Curtis Jones' best position is in he's one of those players where it's like um he reminds me of kind of late a late era John Barnes. Right. You know when John Barnes dropped into the doing, middle and basically yeah, just had the ball all the time? Play, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you need, to, you need to have like, you know, late era Barnes and early era Curtis Jones. That player needs to be on the ball all the time. All the time. Yes. Or, or you see at uh, Bayern Munich, a great player there, a young player, Jamal Musiala, the 17-year-old. Unbelievable midfielder. And they brought him on and against Leipzig and they put this guy there, honestly, Ian, mm. 70-year-old kid just running at the centre of Leipzig's press and it was mind-blowing. And that's what Curtis Jones does. And we saw mm. it like, when they put him in the, when they put him a bit deeper later in the game when Mane came on. He was terrifying. United. Can I say somebody who looks? I can. I don't even know what to say about it, Marcus. No more, Marcus. Rush. He just looks terrifying. I hope that he's not too badly injured. He he looks te- that that pass that pass as well <gasps> for goodness. Greenwood. And what I love about you see with this this game as well when I'm watching it, and this is why. I like the, the latter stages of the World Cup when we really get down to the, the really the top teams. Yes. So then what happens is, is any mistake, and we're talking about not, cl- so you close down Marcus Rashford and then you give him just enough space where you're, you give him enough time and space where he clips it and it just Milner just can't quite, it goes over his head. Those are the margins. The same with Liverpool's first goal. You yes. know, it came from, like, from the back. It went into Wijnaldum in Oceans of space. And you're thinking, Man United, you, this is, that's miles too much space. And then you see where Salah was and the way he got himself in between those players. You're saying, he could put that in there. Yes. He'll, yeah. he'll be able to put that into Salah. And it felt so easy. But what people have to understand is, is that when you're playing at that level and the quality of player you're playing with, the small margins you yes. are punished for. And that is why I love latter stages of Champions League, latter stages yes. of World Cups. So, because you start to get punished for the, the merest mistake. The problem solving is, yeah, like we were, I was saying to a friend the other day when, um, when Salah went off in the 2017 European, uh, the Champions League final. Champions League, yeah. And then Marcelo was like, ha, I've got 15 yards of space. And then Marcelo just moved up and that was it. Mm, Rail just yeah. basically shut that thing down. Yeah. One thing I want to mention about Rashford, actually, this is a shout out to Callum, Jacob, Callum Jacobs, um, who edits the Caracom magazine. Callum compared Marcus Rashford to Neymar. He said, he is our Neymar. And I was like, oh my God, that's the most perfect comparison. And if you think about what Rashford's been doing, and Thomas Tuchel said this, uh, Callum was saying, Tuchel was like, you don't understand what you have. You do not understand what you have with Rashford. And I Mm. thought about it and actually, they do the same things. They counter at incredible speed. They carry the ball vast distances. Their playmaking is unbelievable. Their finishing is extremely strong when they're on it. They score really important goals. Mm. I think that's what Rashford is for us. Before I forget, um, mm. a shout for Jesse Lingard, actually. Oh, gosh, news. Yeah. Only because it looks like yeah. his time at United will be coming to an end. Um, but this is nothing to be sad about. I know he might be sad because obviously United right now are going on a really exciting run. Mm. 
And I weirdly think that if Lingard came to United now, funnily enough, he'd be an incredible squad player. And I still think he is. The Even with those players, there's so many players he's behind right now, Moose. Yeah, but the, I think this is the thing. I think, I think at his stage of his career, he wants to get regular games. Yes, he should be. Yeah. Which is why I think he's going. And I think he's good for regular games and regular starts at a different club. They're talking about West Ham at the moment. But mm. I just want to reflect on the fact that like, no matter where Lingard goes, mm. it's incredible that he hung tight as long as he did. Oh my gosh, yes. Like, you know, your boyhood club to come through mm. and still survive. At that club, Musa. Well, I, was, I, was, I was explaining to somebody as well. For you to be at a club like Manchester United from the age of seven. Yes. And get through to the first team. Yes. You know, along the way, you are going to be under pressure for your yeah. position at every level of Manchester United. Yeah. He made it through. And it, it, I think, I think he, he tells a story. He told me a story. We'd done a thing, a quick thing in the car. Like, you know, me and, me and Jesse were talking in the car. And he's talking about a time where Alex Ferguson said, mentioned to him, don't worry, you are a late bloomer. Wow. You're a late bloomer, right? And in the end, he got through, got through it. Man. And, you know, he scored important goals for United, cup finals. You know, we're talking about somebody who was, who was an integral part of, the England 2018 in Russia. Yeah. You know, and the, and the way he played, you know, you know that players are going to come in at Manchester United, but the way it's been for him, I do feel for him to a certain extent because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is always talking about how hard he's training and, you know, he can't do any more. Remember when Ole came in, he's saying Rashford, Martial, Lingard, that's my guys. Yeah. You know, we saw what happened to Lukaku because he wanted those guys and for him to fall off like he has, it's a shame. Same because as well, He's got personality. He'll dance when he scores. He will try and um, do a close brand. And what happens with fans and people, even ex-pros, is that they focus on all that stuff. Yeah. They focus on that stuff. So when it's not going well for him, everybody digs him about, oh my gosh. He's one of those players, unfortunately, that people started talking about how much he's earning and said, Jesse, ain't got earning. It's so unfair for somebody who works so hard, especially with what's happened in his personal life, with yeah. his mum. His mum had real problems. He had to look after his 12-year-old sister, 14-year-old br brother or 15-year-old brother, his, 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 his own child, his own things, what he had to go through, then trying to get himself in that team and stay in that team. People don't appreciate yeah. what footballers go through as well on an everyday basis, just like you do. But because of the glam and everything that comes with it, they think it's easier. It's actually harder. It's as hard. It's harder because people are expecting... Yeah your very, very best when you're at your very, very worst. And they're coming for the high point of their week. Yeah. And to produce those moments, and this is the thing for Lingard, one thing that he never did, he never hid, all the games, even when he was struggling, going without goals or assists. Yeah. And the thing I always found that saddened me, I don't mean this a kind of patronising way, it saddened me was, he was always attempting to execute the spectacular. There was a thing that Rio Ferdinand said about Jesse Lingard that I love. He said, his ability to play on the front foot, one-touch football was extraordinary. Unbelievable. I honestly believe if Jesse Lingard had grown up in a regular system where he'd been part of a regular, the regular role, he would have been like a kind of, he would have been our Pedro. Like Pedro was for Barca yes. and Chelsea yes. later on. He would have been that for us. You just say, Jesse, your job is to press up the pitch and to finish on the counter. When he first got into the England squad, his movement and his appreciation for the front players and how he could play it one touch around the corner getting, was fantastic. Yeah. The biggest victim of tactical and managerial instability is a role player. Mm. Jesse Lingard is a role player. And if he'd had a settled United team, we would have seen a different career from him. And look, and this career he had, FA Cup winning goal, mm. Europa League, you know, mm. this is not shabby, and a League Cup at United, at your boyhood club. Mm. He will look back and be like, I have nothing to be ashamed of. No. no. I did myself proud, I think. Yeah. I think he can say that. Like I say, I cannot stress enough how hard it is to probably get through that academy. And if he does, if it is West Ham, mm. and he can get, he's going into a team that is playing with a lot of confidence. Yes, I've, I can't wait to see him without the pressure of United on his shoulders. Yeah, he's going to play for a West Ham. You know, once you you do a couple of things right with West Ham, then fans are fantastic. I only went there for a little while, but you they see that you're committed, you're yeah. in, and remember. Moves yes, 28 yeah. in football, especially with him. He's not injury prone. Yeah. Talking about somebody who's very fit with what he's doing. Only thing that is yeah. missing from Jesse Lingard to get back to where he is. Remember, we're talking about he's only 28. Confidence. Yes. Yes. Love. Love him again. So we can see him dancing, doing his thing again. Because a lot of Jesse's 
negativity, what, what comes towards him, is because he's got he's got what Paul Pogba's got. They've got they've got vibe. They've got they've got swag. Sauce. They've got sauce. Exactly. This episode is brought to you by the Hyundai Santa Fe. Around the bend, across the pond, off the beaten path, there's a lot of ways to say you're going places, but only one SUV that helps you get there as a family. The newly redesigned Hyundai Santa Fe. It's the SUV made for getting out there and doing more together. Take the scenic route with available H-Track all-wheel drive and a suite of intuitive safety features for more peace of mind. Plus, you'll stay comfortable wherever you're headed with the Santa Fe's available premium Napa leather seating, generous room for five, and sophisticated interior styling. Learn more about the Santa Fe by going to HyundaiUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. If you vape, you could be inhaling toxic metals into your lungs. To make you feel how scary that is, we could have gone to town with some real scary music. Thrown in some zombie sound effects or some blood-curdling screaming and over-the-top shrieking. You get the point. But nothing is as scary as the facts. Vaping can deliver toxic metals like nickel and lead in your lungs. That's metal. In your lungs. Read up about the dangers of vaping on therealcost.gov. we got to move on to my man. Okay. Speak about Frank Lampard. Can I say, Moose, right from the off, it yep. was one that once he took it, because I was afraid, you know, if, if Frank was, yeah, if Frank was family, mm. I, I had the same kind of nervous energy in me for Frank okay. when, when, when Chelsea came for him than I w- would have done if it was any of my own sons, simply because you know that's not going to end well. It's Chelsea. And it's Chelsea, right? It's Chelsea. And with everything that was happening at the time, simply because of the, the transfer, having to bring the kids through, I'm not really sure that there was any top manager in the world that would have taken the job in that particular moment. It wouldn't have been worth it to them. So to get someone like Frank, a legend, you know, done, done, done his stuff at, at, at Derby, bringing in Jody Morris as well, who knows the youth system and everything like that, to get them through, I thought that it was, from Chelsea's point of view, yeah, it's quite clever, but are you going to back him to do right. stuff? Are you going right. to give him the time to be able to learn on the job and do what he's doing? And no, now we found out. No, no, they wasn't. That was for him to bridge a gap. The transitional manager. Frank had to take them through a period for them to get to where they are now. And now, it looks, yes, it's Thomas Tuchel and good luck to him. You know, he's somebody that I quite like because there's something prickly about him. I don't know. Mm. I don't know what it is. I can't wait to see him here. But I genuinely feel that Frank is a patsy in this. He was. I, it was funny that there's an amazing uh, article I sent you, uh, I think by Liam Toomey in the Liam Toomey Athletic. The Athletic, yeah. With, I think, a couple of credits from David Austin as well. He's amazing. Brilliant. This piece really, it set out how I felt about so much of this. It set out what I suspected, which was that I never thought Lampard would really get that much time. I, I did feel he was transitional, but I didn't realise how transitional he was. I didn't realise mm-hmm. how bad things were. And, you know, there, there'll be things he might feel I could have done this and that better. But yeah. fundamentally, I, fundamentally, I said this to Ryan, I think that this was two different jobs. There was the job that he did with the youth team, the young players, with the transfer ban. And the moment the ban was lifted, that wasn't his team anymore. And there wasn't mm. the same job anymore. Was on even, time. even the targets that were brought in. Mm. They weren't for him. It feels Musa like they weren't for him because right. Kai Havertz, Kai Havertz, a number 10. They don't play with a number 10. Timo Werner, you know, playing off of, off of, a, off of a, a big man or, 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 a, or a twin striker. You know, Ziyech. We're talking, the three players there are unbelievable players. Yes. For a system that Ziyech might be able to get away with it from being where he is, but we're still not seeing the very best of him. No, we're near. We're not. And I think, I think it's, um, it's a cautionary tale. I mean, it's the Chelsea job and they haven't, you know, they, they are a team, they are a, a board that are very, shall we say, proactive. Um, they are not the most patient club. And I don't know if he was expecting patience. I mean, even looking back at the relationship behind the scenes uh, with Marina Granovskaya, which wasn't always the best. Mm. 
some of the players not always the best, but you know, that could be much of a muchness because players that are being picked might have a certain view, you know, but fundamentally, I think the only thing I would say, the only criticism I'd have of him would be his public criticism of his players. And uh, I, yes, I, never, I, well, I, yeah, yeah, I say, you know, the only reason I say that, Ian, is because you can never have too much goodwill. No. You can never have too much yeah. goodwill behind the scenes. You can never have too many, because you never know, like a club like Chelsea, it's the kind of club where the player has a direct line to the manager, mm-hmm. where players are talking to the chairman the whole time. Well, where players talk to the chairman and the board, it's that kind of club. And I just think it's one of those ones where if you get the players so on side, some of them will stand between you mm-hmm. and, and the chair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you it's one of look at, I think you look... It's a very, very good point. But like, you know, it's one of those things that makes your ears prick up when you hear a manager come out and say it like that. But because of the way Frank played and the way he is, Mm. he probably feels that because he was in the dressing room, if a manager came out and said that while he was in there, he'd probably be that person that would respond to that. Right, right, right. But like, when I think, and I'm not, I'm not comparing, not comparing Mm. them and I won't compare them. I think when you look at when Man United went through a certain spell, especially after certain games, Arsenal and certain games what United lost, like Leipzig, you know, Leipzig, his, his man management of the team was so good that you can see now the individual management, you see what's happening to certain players like Luke Shaw and the yeah. way they're, they're performing now. The way that he's handled those players from then till now, it's no coincidence there at the top of the table. People don't understand that when you are in a, a dressing room, a collective of players, you know it's not going quite well. There might be certain things that's going on in training that you, you're saying, yeah, okay, I'll see what he's doing, but it doesn't really suit. When you've got that kind of discontent and then you, you, you hear a manager say something, well, that's on them. That's inexperience. From yeah, it is. It is, it is you know, it's there's a, yeah, I think you're completely right in experience because you know what? Like, I remember talking to A.D. Boothroyd and he said, People forget that these players, a lot of them, they're boys still. They've gone from playing in front of parks crowds to the academy and all of a sudden in front of a few thousand. And he mm-hmm. said, a lot of them never stop being scared. A lot of them hear everything. Yes. You hear everything yeah. from the crowd. He said, look, all the abuse you get, they internalize that. And as a manager, to some extent, you are the kind of barrier between them and yes. the outside world. Yes. You're the barrier. And you know, I think whatever job Lampard does next, and I think that he should look maybe at working with maybe a job abroad, maybe work with younger players. Because if you look at his successes, mm. you know, you look at Mason Mount, right? Mm. He works best with players that he can understand best. You know, yeah. Frank Lampard maybe sees a lot of Mason Mount himself. Lampard coming into the Chelsea midfield and seeing yeah. off all those brilliant players like yes. Baron. Yeah, it's a good point. Mason Mount coming into the Chelsea midfield and seeing off all those midfielders, almost like, you know, you see like a Harvard's on the bench and and Mount starting. Yeah, but at the same time, that's quite embarrassing for the people upstairs who may have bought those players without Frank's real blessing. So that's well, quite an embarrassment. He needs to maybe find a club where he can work with young players who'll buy into what he's doing. And there's no shame in that. There's no mm. shame in that. You know, AVB you know, had a big start at Chelsea. Well, went from Porto, mm. it was a huge club, then went to Chelsea and had to take a backward step. There's no shame in a backward step in a managerial career. Mm. And ultimately he may emerge better for it, I think. I hope so. And the, and the way he is as well, he's one of those guys that he's constantly been written off. I remember the, 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 the interview that, that, um, that Harry Redknapp done when he was sitting there. It was, it was fantastic. The famous interview, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. the famous interview, the faith that Harry had. And he's that guy. He's, he is that guy, Frank. He will work on whatever he has to work on to become the very best. He's done it in, in his football career. Mm. And you feel... You feel, I hope he, he, he can come back from it because you're talking about Frank taking the Chelsea job and people look back on it and think it was too early. Mm. People will say that and they can say that now because you're not going to get the opportunity to learn on the job no. at Chelsea. No, you won't. You won't. And you know, we're talking about Chelsea in, in being sacked after this game against Luton, the FA Cup game, doesn't make any difference. I think their biggest worry was if for some reason Frank got them playing any kind of football in the last three or four games that would have then embarrassed them. Because for me, they've already probably spoken to Tuchel, yeah. uh, uh, you know, not long after he probably got sacked. Yeah. They've probably because, been yeah. looking for a manager for a while. Apparently so they're, August, they're, August huh? is when it started. Exactly. So yeah. we're talking about, we're talking about um, them hoping that Frank doesn't start getting this team to function in a way 
that with the players that they've got can be doing probably a lot better because then yeah. that would have scuppered all, all, all the their plans. plans. Because you have to say that you, you, with the right manager and he gets them, they have got such good players. Well, I think actually, I don't think this harms Lampard in the long run, to be honest. I, think I he hope gets not. A, he gets a lot, well, put it this way. He gets a lot of sympathy. He wasn't going to be in that job that much longer. Apparently, they said in the article, the Athletic article, shout out to them again, that <clears throat> if it had been a different club, an end of the club, he might have walked after at the end of the season. Tuchel coming into Chelsea is extremely exciting for them because he's an extraordinary manager. Yes. And he's exciting for the young players because he gives young players a chance. He did hit at Dortmund. He did, I mean, he, he gave Julian Weigel an amazing chance at Dortmund. Weigel's now, I think, in Portugal. Um, you know, he, he is someone who will do unpredictable things at, at Chelsea in terms of the personnel that he uses. I, I just hope and pray that it's okay. Now, I think that the Chelsea fans are probably a bit relieved because they must have been in such a weird emotional space yeah. with what's happening with Frank. And the fact that they know that maybe it's not quite happening how they want it to, but he is arguably one of the best players in there in the history of the club. Yeah. And, you know, he's got to, and, you know, he's going to have to leave and it's not nice. No, it's not nice. But one thing I'll say but very quickly, um, while we're on Lampard and this, the transition to Tuchel, very quickly on Tuchel and the prickliness, mm. let's not forget that he unlocked Mkhitaryan. Oh gosh. Who was one of the most sensitive characters Oba. in Oba. football. Yeah, absolutely. But in terms of psychologically, you know, Mkhitaryan is someone who'd been through a lot, is a sensitive mm. guy and Tuchel handled him beautifully wow. and he produced his bet for... So I, I, I've got faith that he'll do a great job at Chelsea. Moose. Yes. We have to give some love and some flowers, in fact, to, to an England legend, Steph Horton. Yeah. My goodness gracious me. What a games, ser- unbelievable servant to WSL. 150 games in WSL. Did a thing at Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doing it at City. And what's amazing about Steph Horton is that She's got that kind of Wendy Renard type dominance where you dominate the back line, but also you get forward and score the goals. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. where, you know those defenders basically dominate. They're dominant from everywhere from the centre-back position, kind of like beyond, almost into the final third. Like you mm-hmm. always know where they are at any point in the field. Mm-hmm. And some of uh, City's big acquisitions have made, made her go under the radar in recent, in recent months. Yeah. But an essential contributor to that team. Mm, she's got a nice goal again the other day. I watched her and, and Millie Bright and they played yeah. for England. And it, like, that is one of the best defensive central pairings yeah. that you'll ever be able to put together in an England back line. 120 caps. You know, for what, what people mustn't, mustn't do is, is belittle what these, what these women have been through. Yes. They well, cannot do that. It's, it, it, it angers me anytime I see it anywhere. It, it, you can't belittle it. Because also her, like she was in that transition from the game, like, you know, not having much money and getting a bit more yes, now. Yes. You know, she was someone who was teaching on the side, coaching on the side while she was, you know, to earn some extra money while she was playing as a professional. She missed two straight tournaments, missed the Euros and the World Cup with injuries, yeah. different mm-hmm. injuries. So she's really served her time. And I'm so glad that she gets to be part, you know, because it's not often we get to see players enjoy the feast as well as the famine. Yes. You know, because she started, out, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she started out playing alongside all these players who she was just as good as, but because mm-hmm. they were guys, they had a path and she didn't. Of course, of course. So for her to reach this level is like, it's almost like the game was being built, the infrastructure, she built the infrastructure of the game around her as, as her career went on. You know what, one of the things I was thinking the other day, even looking at her stuff, and obviously I have to think of Kelly Smith as well, my dear friend, Kelly Smith is, I can't even... Imagine, I try to imagine being, being a woman, playing a football with the guys who I'm playing with, being as good and better than them and knowing, how, how do you, it's, I can't even, you know what, it makes me sad. You know, you speak to Kelly, Kelly is somebody that when you hear Kelly's story, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. You know you're as good, but then they go on and they go and do this and you literally stop dead. It's, 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 it's criminal. When, when, I was grow, when I was growing up, we played football on, I was at a school called Marish Middle School in Langley in Berkshire, um, the first of the state school I was at. And we had these three players, Mark, Jackie, and Daniel. Daniel Wicks actually had the record for goals scored for a while for Delaford Colts. He scored 26 goals in a game. But at one point, it was the world rec- Guinness World Record. 26, in the 1987 Guinness uh, Book of World Records, he had the record amount of goals in a game, 26 goals. Wow. In a 33-0 win over either minors. 
Mm. And those three were in the playground and Jackie was the best of all of them. Wow. Jackie could dribble. You know, these are rock and or handballs. Do you remember them? We used yeah. to play football with those on mm-hmm. tarmac. Yeah. Jackie could beat four or five players in the dribble, no problem. And she was better than all of them. And she never got anywhere. There was no professional oh, game. It didn't exist. It's nothing. It was, was nothing heartbreaking. For, it is heartbreaking. It was Can heartbreaking. Can you imagine the amount of women players we've lost, great women players we've yeah. lost simply because there was no path at no. 12? Like, obviously at 12, something should have, done, should have been done for, for the women at 12 when you can no longer play with the boys. Something should be set up. It's, it's, and it wouldn't it's have like, been hard. Ian, it wouldn't have been hard just to put up an extra pitch. If they had the, 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 the means, they would have been able to, they would have been able to play football. It's, it's a crime. Musa, great yeah. news for the club, man. Martin Erdegaard. Oh my goodness. Is that how you say it? Erdegaard. It's Erdegaard, isn't it? I think people are going to probably, in England, they're going to say Odegaard because like we're, we're so lazy in the pronunciation, but it's Erdegaard. He's an extraordinary player, Erdegaard. I remember reading about him when he was, what, like 14? How, how old was he when he went to Real Madrid? 14, 15, something like that. Honestly. 14, 15, yeah, yeah. Um, I always worry when that happens, Moose, because you're thinking, because we didn't hear, when, he, when like Messi was like 15, we didn't hear, it didn't get blasted to us like our Erdegaard. The person that out him was actually Ronaldinho. Do you remember that interview? Ronaldinho gave an interview for 442 and he said, he was World Player of the Year and he said, I'm not even the best player at Barcelona. Barcelona, yeah. <laughs> and Remember then like, that? Who? Like, oh, who's that guy with the kind of like Beatles type 60s haircut? Yeah. Oh, who's that like little... Not little even the best player at Barcelona. Ah, that was the most gangster line I've ever seen. Um, I love Ronaldinho for that. But like um, with Erdogan, he's, he's, yeah. he look, he's what we need. We need that, that guy to back up Emil Smith-Rowe or, you know, just whatever. He's going to back him up. He's going to back him up. But, I'm hoping that it doesn't make Emil feel like, oh no, I'm just getting my just getting my motor revved up and this is happening. Like we mentioned with Jesse Lingard, you have to in your mind always think that the club is getting ready to replace you. Yes. I remember saying I sent him a message saying that. I said, even all through those times, that, that barren spell for Arsenal where we didn't win any leagues, but we won cups, um, European Cup, like Cup Winners Cup and FA Cup. I said, I played every, every, every week like Arsenal are going to bring someone in. I played like that because you have to play like that. You have, have to that. play knowing that someone better is going to be, because if that's not going to drive you in training to be better, then that's going to come and then that person will take your place. So what you're hoping, someone like Erdogan, who's, you have to say, his journey from Real Madrid, the loan spells, I think Vitesse Arnhem, Aaron Vane. Sociedad, yeah. So, and then Sociedad, where he really looked like he was kicking in and t- to the point where Real Madrid brought him back. Mm. And if he can come across and start to do in the Premier League what everybody has thought that he can do, the potential that, that he's, he's got that can be unlocked and it happens in the Premier League, then Real Madrid have, have really hit the jackpot in coming to Arsenal. Because he'll yes. get, it, they've really hit the jackpot. Because all of a sudden, with all that potential and all that promise that they, they, they signed him for, Musa, if he unlocks it in the Premier League, then we're talking about instantly 35 million, 40 million, bam, just straight off the bat. Well, it's amazing because the thing you can use him for, you can have Smith Rowe still as a 10, but it takes pressure off Saka creatively. Because, because Arsenal have these two fullbacks who push really high up. I mean, obviously Tierney a bit more than Bellerin now mm. um, to an extent, but because you've got these fullbacks that push so up, you allow these people to tuck inside. So it allows Odegaard to play as a kind of inside forward or as a 10, or you could play him as, you could have them as two eights, Smith Rowe and Odegaard alongside each other. And then, and Partey. And then Partey. Oh, you, you, Yeah, so you have like incredible options even within a game to make adjustments. And that ends up being a feast for someone like Aubameyang and Lacazette. It's a oh feast God, for them. The, well, the thing, all of a sudden you've got, if that can happen, then you've got like creativity from them two and Saka's got to play. They, they, of course, Saka, of course. Saka. But then you play them together. You play them both. You play them like, yep, yep, two eights. I think it's a magnificent coup. Yeah. It's exactly what we need. Odegaard gives you the ability to break the lines. Yes. That's he, what he, and, and more than, more than, and I, and I love Smith Rowe. Smith Rowe to me is incredible at the kind of give and go, 
one touch football. He passes the lines, but I think Odegaard even more can pick you off from deep. He could even pick you off, to be honest, against the team that just sits deep. Yes. You could even put him in a two behind in a 4-2-3-1. He's so good. He's so good. You could have Partey just screening. Mm. Odegaard slightly more advanced, linking with Smith Rowe. He's that good. Uh, he's someone who finds space everywhere. He's a superb finisher. He can, he can run the counter. Wow. Um, he can break you down from wide areas in tight. He loves the ball in tight spaces. He's like a sort of Joao Felix type energy. Mm-hmm. He didn't, his numbers actually last year aren't that great. He's, I think he scored six and had four assists. They're not huge numbers in like 30 games, but again, you could, people don't like the Ozil comparison, but I'll go there. Ozil wasn't just the numbers. Ozil was fluidity. Mm. And a, a comparison I want to draw a bit more is someone like um, Thiago at peak fitness. Tiago at Peak Fitness and Odegaard have similar energy where they hurt you. They don't really care about direct assist. They're the ones that open up the game for other people to take you out. Sidlow Sidlow is saying that it's a shame to see him leaving Spain. Agree. He's a creative genius and he's a joy to watch. And it's a, the Premier League, because like I'm looking at Kai, Kai Avertz. Um, yeah. You look at now you've seen Ozil's moving on, um, you know, not quite there. He seems to me to have the same kind of physique as those two guys. Right. And, you know, what I've seen of him, his left foot's excellent. He looks really good, looks very wiry, looks really... Is, it, is, is he ready for us? Is he ready for the Oh prim? my goodness. Okay, let me just say this. Any Arsenal fans who aren't sure if he's right for you, go and watch his combination play with Erling Haaland for Norway and it will blow your mind. When wow. you watch how it, those two combine, then you'll get excited because that, that man knows how to find people. That man is a GPS. He's a GPS. Like if you lose your keys... You lose your keys. <laughs> you lose your keys in a forest. <laughs> you lose he'll your find keys it. in a forest, he'll find them. He'll find them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also I would say that he, he's a fearless player, actually. Like we were saying, like Lingard doesn't hide. Yes. He never avoids responsibility. What can I say, my friend? You're an uncle. I am, I am. Do you know what? I'm, I'm, a, I'm delighted to be an uncle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You've got to understand the term, of in, the term of endearment that uncle is. You get the, you get the uncle tag it's a beautiful thing your uncle and honestly in the end it's all about love is I'm so pleased with what's happening now. and I think that people are going to love that uncle that's so cool your uncle oh no thanks oh, look, thank you uncle I appreciate that no much, worries uncle much love uncle to uncle I'll see you soon so Moose I'll see you soon thanks for coming brother my pleasure God Catch bless you. you man God bless thank you. you thank you very much Moose Okonga thank you for listening everybody we'll see you again next week on Righty's House on Ring RFC take it easy everybody have a good week